bottom of the ninth. We're at Jacobs Field, now Progressive Field in Cleveland, Ohio. You can hear the fans from the flats. The manager calls you in to close this game out. The closer. What music are you running out of that bullpen to to save the day? Oh, I... All right, Jennifer, are you ready? Ready. All right, Ty. Time out. Tyler, who are we taking the time out with today? Well, thank you, Kevin. Well, uh, time out with leaders today. We have the Jennifer Lake, the CEO of Goodwill of the Finger Lakes. And Jennifer, thanks for taking a time out with Kevin and I. Uh, we try to learn from the best of the best in Rochester. We're going to start out by asking you, uh, we're, I'm a foodie. So what's your favorite restaurant to eat at in Rochester? Let's throw them a plug right now. So it's a newer restaurant to me, but it's been around for forever. It's actually the French Quarter um, right downtown. It is kind of our own little slice of New Orleans, um, and it is amazing. Uh, so definitely French Quarter. It's right off of Plymouth uh, downtown. Right. Uh, have you ever been to New Orleans? You know, I haven't, um, but I'm a fan of Creole food, uh, and honestly, I haven't had anything bad there, and a, a friend introduced me to it last month, and I've already been back twice, because it was just so good. <laughs> Safe to say you liked it, though. Safe to say. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, beignets, you can't go wrong. And, um... Tyler knows a little something about New Orleans down there. Uh, right. Since we're on, on the food subject, um, and I'm, I'm hungry this morning, where, where would you go for coffee? So fun fact, um, I quit coffee in college because oh. it was a serious, serious habit. I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, because it was literally like, I, I don't even know how many cups I had in a day. And then when you add in diet soda, yeah, uh, caffeine. So now <laughs> I am a steady tea drinker. Um, and uh, there is actually a great place locally, uh, Happy Earth Tea uh, in the South Wedge. Um, a, a former colleague of mine uh, and her husband, uh, he is is from India. Uh, he has the the best blend. So usually you can catch me with a, an awesome chai, uh, Darjeeling. Um, you know, I also am a fan of English breakfast, mostly because most restaurants only have that. <laughs> uh, so you kind of learn to uh, adapt, but at least they offer that versus, you know, the Lipton like black tea that yes. you know, is like industrial. I don't even know where those leaves are from. But yeah, so I love the smell of coffee. I just like it, it just doesn't taste good to me anymore. It's it's crazy to go from really you liking something to like. Ugh, hating it now <laughs> yes yes definitely you're still getting some caffeine at least some caffeine propelled you to obviously winning that 40 under 40 award what um what year did you win it and do you remember where you, when where you were when you got the call that um you you had won that prestigious award here in rochester you know i wish i knew my bio better because i want to say it was like four years ago ish We'll go with that. So maybe 2016, 2017. Um, it was the best thing. I was actually walking um, back to my office um, from a meeting and there was this huge bouquet of flowers on my desk. And, you know, my husband loves me, but he, like, we're just like, he's not a flower ordering guy. Like flowers are great. Like I appreciate them, but you know, they, they die. Like, so I was like, okay, it's not for my husband. I'm like, who would send me this amazing arrangement? And it actually was from 40 under 40. And, and that's kind of how I found out that I had been selected. Um, and it, it just was su such a nice way to, to do it. And, and then, you know, there was this, this lovely letter. Um, but I always thought it was just such a class act, like a way of congratulating the nominees, like in the moment, because today we, we just take for granted, like you just would get an email or like, you know, congratulations, you get a letter in the mail. Um, so it was just, it was just a really nice feeling. And, and my whole team had kind of been waiting for me to get back to the office. Um, Cause normally that delivery would go to the front desk and, and I would go pick it up. But I, you know, I think the front desk was like, oh my gosh, you know, so they brought it to my office and, and then the whole team was kind of, I noticed after I noticed the flowers, they were waiting to see my reaction. So it was just so rewarding 
to find out in the moment with some members of my team right there at the same time. Yeah, Jennifer, I was just thinking, you know, I've been waiting to feel this feeling someday at some age. What age was it or era or year was it when you said to yourself, you're going to be a CEO someday? So, all right, we're 2021 now. I became CEO in 2020. You know, what a great time to, to leave. <laughs> Perfect. Um, honestly, April, you know, I say I'll, it like tongue in cheek because it really <laughs> was. Um, you know, I figure if you can make it through that, like it's, I keep saying, is it downhill from here? I, I don't know. But I, I honestly didn't see it for myself. Um, it was, was probably 2017 when I was having a conversation with our then CEO about, um, some continued leadership development. I am a lifelong learner, love to learn. Um, you know, one of those people who thinks you can never learn enough. So Goodwill has this program, it's called the executive development program. And in the materials, it's literally like we prepare people to be CEOs. I was like, hmm, not likely, you know, like I doubt it, highly doubt it. Like, how, how do you do that? Like, that's impossible. <laughs> um, so I was talking to her about this program because I really wanted to do it. It was an 18 month. There were um, three different one week in residence uh, down in DC. It was attached to George Washington University, this great program that I wanted to do. Um, and so I was talking to her about it. And in that conversation, I realized, you know, she kind of saw that for me. And I was like, whoo, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm, you know, I'm, I like, I'm a supporter, you know, yeah, I can make tough decisions. Yeah, I can get things done. But um, so I actually wrote some of my, uh, there was an interview process and you had to write an essay. And my first question was about how I don't really believe that this program grows and builds CEOs. You know, I, I'm like, oh, okay, that's a nice thing to say to get people into the program. And I could not have been more wrong because that is exactly what it does in terms of the self-work, getting you to really realize kind of where your blind spots are. We always talk about, you know, people know where their weaknesses are, but to really identify where you have a blind spot, where you really need to kind of accept it. Um, embrace it, love it, and get people around you who don't have that same blind spot. So it, it does the tough self-work. It also, you know, rounds out, um, you know, any gaps you have in your own, you know, business knowledge. So it really was like an MBA light program. Um, and, and just the confidence of some of the situations they put you in, you know, they, they give you like this media training where um, this woman who was like a former reporter is like, in your face, like, and again, it's in a classroom, but man, like the sweating, I, you know, not that we want to talk about it, but like, <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. Like that was fun. Um, but you really, when you finish it, um, you're so supported and, and you have this group of, you know, other Goodwill CEOs who are mentoring you. It, it really helps you appreciate and love who you are as yourself and, and as a result, you know, you are very open to the fact that, yeah, okay, I can lead a $50 million organization. And, you know, I thought it would be great um, to be able to, to replace our, our long tenure, you know, 34 years as CEO. I, I did tell the board, like, I do not intend to be here 34 years. So if that is like <laughs> one of your checkmark requirements, like, because I just feel like, you need fresh blood in organizations. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, while I feel like I have a lot to give and, and I think our organization um, does so much to support the community and, and we can do even more. Um, for me, it's, it's about, I need to feel like I'm adding value and I'm growing and developing people. And at some point people will be ready and it'll be time for me to find whatever comes next. So long answer, Tyler. I, That's uh, exciting. I still feel like, you know, I am a CEO and I feel like there's still a lot I can learn. Um, and I, I feel like if I ever get to that point where I'm like, mm, yeah, like I'm rocking this. I got this. I'm a CEO. It's probably time to move on and find that next thing. 
<laughs> well, you you probably had a lot of experience. I know you uh, worked out in uh, Los Angeles for quite some time. Um, do you want to talk about that experience and what it was like to, to kind of work in a totally different industry that's obviously very much for profit um, rather than where you are today, which is, is more on the nonprofit space? You know, I try to tell people that if you have that opportunity in your life to take a risk on yourself pick up and move and go to a big city where, you know, you maybe only know one or two people, but it is that whole, I want to make it on my own kind of moment. And, um, you know, I moved out there really because I thought I was going to go to law school. And, um, you know, I, I, I was a scholarship kid, you know, growing up. And um, so, the thought of, you know, having to go into so much debt um, and then having to work at a firm to pay off that debt. Um, a, my sister just told me, she's like, do you know that UCLA is like a tier one law school in in-state tuition because she lived in California is super cheap. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I moved out there thinking, okay, I get my residency. I'd work for a year um, and, and had a connection into a temp agency at, at Warner Brothers. And you know, it, it really was kind of night and day because at first you're getting over that backlot feeling of like, okay, I literally work now where they're making all this movie and TV magic. Um, and it, it really is um, a different pace. Um, so for all you East Coasters, when you move to the West Coast, like you are a desired skill set because um, there just is this like East Coast pace. And I'm guessing it's probably not a good thing. Uh, <laughs> our, I like to call it work-life integration, but but definitely uh, it's, it's a coveted thing. And, and it's funny, a lot of East Coasters tend to be friends with other transplants from the East Coast. Um, but it, it was a great opportunity. And um, I had literally moved out with all my stuff. You know, my mom was like, well, hey, since your sister's out there, why don't we just rent a moving truck and take everything? I'm like, wow, okay. Like, don't let the door hit me on the way out. Like, take all your stuff and go. I want they wanted that empty nest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was all about it. So I um, drove out there with her after a couple of days and um, had an interview at the temp agency. And it was literally the day uh, after we got in. So we got in late, went for this interview and it was um, for an HR coordinator job and, and the loved the on-premise director. She was my matron of honor, like years later, like, oh my <laughs> so God. We're, we're still lifelong friends to this day, but she said to me, she's like, yeah, you know, we can get you a temp job in a couple of weeks, you know, we'll, we'll have it be a good one and like business and legal affairs, you know, somewhere, um, or you know, my HR coordinator is not really working out and you could start tomorrow. And, you know, again, that like scholarship kid growing up, I was like, I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> like, <my laughs> stuff's not exact. like, you know, it's always about in those early days, like when you're on your own, like you, you want to feed yourself, you want to pay your rent. Um, and I am so glad that I took that risk because in my head, I was like, I really need a couple days to like unpack and like get settled. This is a major move. And, you know, it, it, it worked out because I ended up coming back to that same leader who kind of took a risk on me after I'd been in business legal affairs for a couple of years, because I realized that it wasn't the law that I liked. Um, it was that every single job I had had up until that point um, helped me feel, realize that I wanted a career helping people to grow and develop, realize what they're passionate about. Um, because I found myself on this floor and I'm, I'm like, I like the law, like I wanna help people. Um, but all of these attorneys had already done their 120 work hours. You know, They're now in this cushy studio job and that's how they would talk about it. Like now I'm in a cushy studio job, but they're still missing their kids' plays because a deal has to get done. A movie's gotta be made, you know, a, a DVD is about to get released. and. So I kind of started thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I really like, and I don't know where I was in college, but I had no clue this thing called human resources even existed. And because I had kind of some business experience, um, it really allowed me to be a really great business partner. And, and through my whole career, um, have really been able to leverage my previous experience, you know, working for, for Clinique and, and, you know, being in sales and, and being that account coordinator to no matter what you do and where you work, it's all about how you get results with other people. 
you know, and, and it all starts with yourself. So, so that first day, you know, getting off the, the moving truck and then going over. Um, so I, I called the, the individual and I said, Hey, you know, I really want to work in HR. There's no actual HR on my resume. Um, but you know, I've hired people. I trained people, you know, you've got this open contract recruiter job, you know, basically Warner brothers outsource it's entry level, um, and mid-level like it to a partner. So it was like, how about you take a risk on me? And if it doesn't work in 30 days, I'll quit. Like no harm, no foul, but like give me a chance. And at the time people thought I was crazy because I was literally leaving Warner Brothers to work for a contract company to hopefully then come back. Because, um, you know, when you have thousands of people interested in every job you post, you know, you have the luxury of not having to necessarily promote from within. Um, or taking taking a risk on people. So a lot of people would leave and come back. And I was so glad I did because that first phone call asking for what I wanted um, instead of what I thought I had to settle for was the first of many phone calls that helped me propel my career forward in ways that um, you know I didn't think is possible, which is why it's so funny I never saw CEO for myself. Um, and I think sometimes we just limit our own dreams. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we do that? Seeing that you have your master's in, in, in kind of organizational design and development, why, why, why do you think that we do that in most people? You know, I think even in myself, a little bit is just self-protection. Um, you know, in, in our society, there's this concept of perfection and, and even more fallacy, this concept of control. And, and we like to lull ourselves into thinking that, you know, if, if we just stepped a little bit outside our comfort zone, like that's enough for us. But you, you have to just put yourself out there and, and realize that at the end of the day, people feel the same way as you. And they're so in their own head about what they're not doing well and what they're, you know, what they should be doing better of that maybe in the moment you'll have that awkward, like, well, no, I'm not going to give you that opportunity, but we move on so quickly mm -hmm. that, that that one moment that we obsess about for weeks, <laughs> just because we're humans and that's what we do, everybody else moved on four years ago. And, um, you know, I, I used to, to work, um, a, a, one of our former leaders um, had told me the story once and, you know, it's about, um, you know, these, these two, you know, rabbis were, were walking along a river and, you know, they, they came across someone who, you know, was, was stranded. And, um, so, you know, the one rabbi picked her up and was carrying her along and took her to where she needed to go. And the bottom line is you put her down like months ago, but like, you're still carrying that weight around with you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when you really think about it that way, like the other person, like didn't take any of the weight, like they just walked along, were supportive and got to go along their way. But because you saw the opportunity to help now, suddenly, you know, that weight is on you. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I probably butchered the story. And if the, that mentor hears me like, yeah, that's not the story, but the, the bottom line is, you know, you put her down two miles ago, but you're still carrying the weight with you. Mm -hmm. When are you going to let it go? Mm -hmm. And and I think there's freedom in realizing that the only thing you can control truly in life is your own reactions to situations that come up. And anything other than that, it's luck or a calculated guess. Um, but don't fool yourself into thinking that you're pulling strings because life has a way of throwing things at you. Um, and I think this last year has taught all of us that, that you know, we, we have to know innately that we're good enough, that we're gonna make the best decision we can. Um, and it really all starts with just the values work and knowing yourself, you know, what, what is your true north? You know, how do you make decisions and how do you get that alignment? And if you don't have it, what's that next small step you can take that's going to put you on a path of, of getting to it? Awesome, Jennifer. Well, yeah, I think you touched on uh, it takes another person to kind of bring you, you the good out in you. And that, that guy down there named Kevin was the guy for me, just very <laughs> instrumental in getting me out of my comfort zone, 
seeing some good in me, you know, and after I, I just caught fire after that. And do you have anyone specific? I, I mean, you may have already touched on it, but was there someone specific in your life that just said, Jennifer, you got that it factor? Um, you know, for me, it, it was my um, my stepdad. So um, my my parents split uh, when I was in fourth grade, and uh, I was really shy. And it's funny because still to this day, when I tell people I'm an introvert, they don't believe me because I extrovert so well. Um, and and it's really because of of my stepdad, who was was really a dad to me. Um, he. Uh, was a really successful, um, you know, accountant. And, you know, one day he just said to me, cause I have an older sister who like walks on water, you know, was, was beautiful, <laughs> like talented, good, right? like, you know, the first grandchild in our family, like, you know, so when, when you have someone four years older than you like that, you tend to take a back seat a little bit because you know there's those insecurities. And when we moved to, to upstate New York, uh, so that's why I don't sound like a New Yorker. I was born in Ohio and kind of grew up there. So I have that Midwest, like no accent uh, effect. <laughs> um, so we moved to upstate New York after we um, had, had been there for probably 18 months or so. He just said to me one day, he's like, you know, how long are you gonna be willing to just be in the shadows and like staying silent because you're super smart, you know, you're just as talented, but you've decided that you're not good enough and that, you know, you don't want the world to see you, you know, you kind of just want to observe. And, you know, as long as you've made that decision for yourself, that's all it will ever be. And, you know, is that enough for you? And, um, you know, I still, I still go back to that. He, um, he ended up uh, passing away my, my senior year in high school and um, from brain cancer. And I, I go back to that often because throughout your life, there are always going to be those moments where you have to push yourself to that next level. And if you have those voices in your life that are encouraging you, you need to believe them and you need to get out of your own way. And if you don't, you need to have that belief in yourself because, you know, I'm, I've lately been doing a lot of work into um, motivational intelligence. And it's this really powerful concept about if you really think about it, everything in your life that you're good at today, you once sucked at it. You know, we were all babies like who could not even walk around. And now like you get up every day and you walk around and it's like no big deal. You know, none of us could talk like so. So when you think about it, anything that is truly important to you in life, if you work at it long enough, you can get good at it. You might not be like a gold medalist, but like you'll be able to actually do it. But we all have this loop in our head and, and those dominant thoughts are what we, we latch on to. And it's it's this brilliant work that's starting to come out in the workplace, too, about we live into that. Like our subconscious picks up on dominant thoughts. And if my dominant thought is I'm going to be a horrible CEO, all my mind does while I'm working is look for all those moments that reinforce the fact that I'm horrible. Mm -hmm. So, so if we can reframe to like, man, like this pandemic has been terrible and I'm making the best decisions I can. I'm involving my team. I'm looking for these symbols. So changing the thought to, you know, I can do this. Um, it, it's just so powerful. Um, and, and that's kind of what I hope other people start to realize is, is just, there's nothing special necessarily about me. I do believe I'm special. I have good confidence, but, but at the end of the day, like there is no secret sauce. Like it, it literally is being open and vulnerable enough to know where you need support, where you can shine and to want more, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's okay. Yeah. I loved your point about being a lifelong learner. And it seems like a common thread between all the interviews that we've done up until this point. Um, the other common thread is really what it took to get to where you are. And, and you mentioned you, you, you started with Clinique uh, selling. I, I know Bonton, um, one of my mom's favorite stores, uh, probably one of the only stores left in Elmira down there. 
Um, but really, I guess these these early steps in your development, you want you got your first degree in political science, so you thought you were going more in, in, in that law, law, law direction. But now you've kind of had that crooked mile journey as to where you are today. What do you think that, um, what would you tell your younger self, Jennifer, where you are today as the CEO of Goodwill of the Finger Lakes? What would you tell that younger self before you started that, uh, maybe that first semester at St. John Fisher? Hmm. You know, honestly, Kevin, I think, I don't think I would have a conversation with myself. And, and why I say that is one of my biggest learning opportunities came um, at Fisher when uh, I was a junior. Uh, we were going to be going to this conference uh, on the West Coast, ironically, Los Angeles, <laughs> before I even thought about moving out there. Um, and we were taking a group and the advisor left the college, but because I had worked in the res life office, like they gave me the opportunity to still go, but to like really be like the chaperone, even though I was just a student like everybody else. And, um, it was for a res hall association and we had our only requirement was that you had to make this poster for like a poster session about like the types of programs your res hall does. So we had like months to do this. And of course, like nobody did it, nobody did it. It's literally the week before we're supposed to leave. So again, like I coordinate a meeting to like get people together to work on this stupid poster. Cause at the end of the day, it was a stupid poster. So don't lose sight of that. And, and nobody showed up. So, all right, it's now like two days before we're leaving, schedule another meeting, still nobody shows up. So of course, what do you think I did? Did it yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Young leader, rookie, rookie mistake. Um, and the day before, I just happened to be during my office hours, you know, I'm sitting there. People show up. They're like, hey, we're here to work on the poster. And I'm like, oh, well, a little bit too late. Like, it's already done. You know, and they're like, oh, well, you, you did it yourself. Like, well, yeah, because, you know, I we have to show up. Like, we couldn't just show up with nothing. So for the first two days of this conference, nobody talked to me, including my fiance, who was also going, because the group was so upset that it was something that represented all of us. And, and while they took ownership, they, yeah, they blew off the two meetings. No one ever thought that I would just do it myself. And, and for me, it took me a while to really be grateful that for that opportunity to understand that what I did was worse because I rationalized it all day, every day that like they blew off the meetings, you know, my reputation, but in that moment, I made it about my reputation and, and it would have been so much better to fail together in a group or show up with some, you know, you know, half-assed poster <laughs> because yeah. at the end of the day it didn't matter like mm -hmm. that was the thing but I had created in my mind this situation where like the fate of the college representation was on my shoulders and it and it wasn't it it literally I was never going to see those people again at the conference you know like it or not I loved St. John Fisher but it's a small liberal arts school in upstate New York we were at the University of Southern California with yeah. you know colleges and huge universities um and it was more important to me to not look bad mm -hmm. than to care about what my friends you know what that would do to them so so why I say I wouldn't go back is while there were times when I felt like I didn't know what I was supposed to do next, or I was making mistakes, you know, like I said, oh, I should have gone to law school. I shouldn't have, you know, taken this job. And um, I really do believe that every one of those opportunities prepared me for the seat I'm in today. And, and honestly, I would be too worried that I would mess that up somewhere along the way. Um, you know, butterfly effect, great movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and I think that, that I love those missteps just as much as the amazing things, mm -hmm. you know, so, so that 40 under 40, um, you know, getting that phone call earlier this year that, that 
a billionaire philanthropist was giving us a $10 million gift. Like it just, those, those bad moments are just as important as, as the good. That's yeah. Awesome. That's a, a fur. Oh my, well, we are really excited to have you. I, you mentioned a little while back, uh, getting outside yourself. Um, that's something I struggle with, have always struggled with. And I have some practices nowadays that I do daily. And I, that's, you're talking about language when you were talking in that, in that avenue. What, what practices do you do daily on a day-to-day basis to get outside, you know, Jennifer Lane? So I think being a mom, um, having a daughter definitely uh, reminds you quite often how inept you are. <laughs> um, so I, I think that one of the things um, I, I try to remember is um, just being supportive of myself. And it took me a lot of years to do that in, in the moments where you really blow it because you're going to blow it. <laughs> you know, whether you're a parent, whether you're an uncle, an aunt, you know, <laughs> there are going to be moments with kids where you're like, oh man, I really wish I could do that. I'm getting motivated, Ty. What do you think? I'm getting really motivated here. I'm a month yeah. out, Jennifer. You're getting me really yeah, excited. I, I thought you were pretty close. <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like there need to be PSAs. Like, like, like the It Gets Better series because, <laughs> you know, I am the first to admit that like, literally the second night we were home with with Maddie um we called the baby line because like all she wanted to do was nurse she was clearly not hungry she would not take a pacifier I'm like in tears I remember they're like there's a baby I'm like Matt call the baby number like I am not doing this I'm not you know so um so in those moments it's it's first and foremost the best practice is to reach out for your lifelines your supports because it's super powerful. We all, you know, hear like when you accept help, like it's a sign you're weak. And, and that message like really just needs to be blown up because it's such a sign of strength. Um, and, and that's why first and foremost, I use my resources. And then I tell other people about how I use my resources because I don't want people thinking that I'm this superhuman um, I am literally just like you. I am, I am like the same, I have the same worries, the same fears, you know, I, I have the same hopes and dreams. Um, I'm just comfortable saying that I don't need to do this alone. And it's stupid to think that you have to do it alone. So, so for me, that that's the biggest part of it. And it took me a while to, to learn that and, and still a little bit to this day, you know, I'll see my husband, you know, asking like, Hey, can I do that to help you? And, and there's some resistance there in, you know, that darn like nurture that you grow up with those messages. Um, so the first, you know, the second step is just kind of confronting them. Like, this is silly. Like, I don't have to be the one that does all the cooking and cleaning because I'm the mom, you know, like, like, this is crazy. I'm for gender equality. Like I, you know, um, but there's these hard wiring. So, um, and then the third thing is just to take time for, for yourself. Um, and, and for me, um, that'll look and feel differently. So it's making sure that even though I'm exhausted, I still connect with friends. Um, because, you know, it's when you're most tired and you don't want to go out that it's when you need to connect with your, your, your network. Um, and then I, I do a lot of, um, of affirmations and, and really kind of, um, you know, the, the subconscious thinks it's like outside of you. So, you know, it's just saying like, you're enough, you know, and, and your best is good enough. Um, and, and when you frame those affirmations in the you, your subconscious is most likely to pick up on them. Um, so I know a lot of people are like, I'm good enough. You want to just shift that to like, you're good enough. <laughs> okay. Like weird, like the science of the brain is, is kind of yeah. crazy how we work as humans. Yeah. Um, and, and then I just, I need some activity in my life. So whether that's yoga, um, you know, I love body flow at, at the Y, uh, you'll see me at that class, um, or just getting out and walking, spending some time in nature. I, I would say it's the one thing I miss about being in upstate 
um, you know, versus living in other parts of the country is, you know, it's not, I'm not as motivated to go outside and walk around when it's 20 below. Yeah. You mean that um, 20 below zero doesn't get you motivated to step outside for a nice brisk yeah. walk, Jennifer? Yeah, yeah, a nice brisk. <laughs> nope. No, I swear when you move somewhere warm, so, so growing up in Ohio, moving here, when I lived in California, I was only there for about five years. I swear my blood thins because now if it is, you know, less than 70 degrees, I need a jacket. And I feel so much like my grandma. It's not even funny. Um, you know, Maddie's like, mom, it's so warm. You know, she's in like shorts and a tank top and I'm in like jeans and like a cardigan. <laughs> but I own it. I own it. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I like to be warm. I'll change out of California. All right. Well, I have, if you didn't um, need to work for a paycheck, Jennifer. What would you do? You know, I would still be involved um, in not-for-profit organizations. Um, there, the, the need is so great in the community that, um, you know, I think when you look at the work um, Melinda Gates uh, is, has been doing, um, you know, and, and honestly, from, from my perspective, um, if each and every one of us just gave 10 hours a month to a cause, you know, any cause, the world would be a, a really a better place. And, and I think that's what, you know, I think I heard a statistic yesterday that during COVID last year was the biggest year for volunteerism. And something like 54% of people said it was the first time they had ever volunteered. And again, I don't know what, what study was on the radio, but, but just thinking about that, I was like, wow, you know, I've been volunteering for years. Like, it's just something our family did. You know, my, my grandpa was very involved in the community. And the fact to me that people go through life never having volunteered their time for anything, it's just really sad to me because those experiences, they're so impactful for, for you as a person, let alone all the good you're doing in the community by, by helping. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I probably would be just as busy <laughs> working just as many hours um, for, for causes that I care about. And, and honestly, it's like my day job now. I, I really believe that when you do something you love, um, and you really feel valued and you're consistently challenged, it's not work. Um, it, it's just your bliss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of people are still searching to find their, their passion and what their desire is and where they think that they can move the needle for themselves as a family, but also on a, on a professional level uh, too. It's a lot of things that people um, struggle with. Uh, seeing that CEOs right now are, are, are kind of in the, this new normal, right? I've had some conversations with executive leaders and they can't wait to get back to normal. And, and, and I keep telling them like, there's really not going back. Um, but we've seen like this more of an emphasis now, maybe more than ever, um, where it's back on the people, right? The people that are making our, uh, our, our organizations, um, the people that are out in our communities supporting um, some of the, the needs and initiatives that you guys are doing there in the goodwill of the Finger Lakes. What do you think, since you are kind of came up the ranks through HR and saw a more uh, humanistic, but maybe also the business side that you alluded to as well earlier with some of those previous roles, what do you think is like, how did that help you become a better leader? Um, as a CEO, understanding the individual and kind of working up your own ranks throughout the organization itself? You know, I, I really think it's the work I did on myself um, that made a difference. And, and what I mean by that is you can't lead people until you can lead yourself. And I know that's like the most like simplistic yeah. thing. And it's entirely true. Um, because if, if you can't make fun of yourself, you, you know, people won't trust you and, and you have to know yourself to be able to make fun of yourself. Um, and, and that, that idea of being an open book and, and having kind of radical candor, most people can't do that with their leaders. It, it takes incredible trust. And that's what we need now more than ever. And, and yeah, I'm with you, Kevin, there is no going back to this idea of a normal. 
Um, this is just, I, I really believe, um, you know, this VUCA world that we're living in, um, there's just going to be something else coming. And I think leaders that continue to lead, continue to um, look for opportunities where they could help, where they could be of service. Those are the organizations that, that didn't have a year um, where they kind of lost pace. Maybe the pace looked different. They had different initiatives they were working to. But when you look at who really was successful over this past year, you know, I look at our own organization. We, we you know, tripled, if not quadrupled, the volume of calls we were able to handle. We redeployed people. We, in our programs, our ABVI services for people who are blind, we had the best engagement in our children and family programs we ever had. So yeah, there's reasons for that. Parents needed a break. I get it. And if we hadn't have switched, if we hadn't have mobilized, if we hadn't have pivoted to that new concept, um, if we hadn't redeployed team members over to the crisis and 211 line, we would have never accomplished anything. It would have been very easy to kind of go into that protection mode of like, you know, some some colleagues, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that they felt they needed to, to lay off their workforce. You know, my, my first, one of my first things with the board was going in and talking about how I believe strongly we needed to pay everyone, even if that meant we were going to run a $5 million deficit. But our organization has, has reserves. You know, we've had individuals giving to us for over 100 years who put us in a position where we could do that in a way that, that wouldn't, wouldn't hurt the organization. And not everyone had that luxury. But that ability to do what's right in the moment, even when it's not convenient, even when there's going to be a negative side, if it's for the right reasons and it's supporting your team and your, your employees, it's the right thing to do. Um, and I, I think that um, some people might say I'm naive to think that, that you can always do that. I disagree. I think that the leader's actions this past year have demonstrated that you can do both, that, that you can potentially have a business risk decision um, that ends up in the long run paying off in, you know, quadruple what, what it would be. And, and I, I truly believe that. Um, so this idea of what's going to make a leader going forward is the ability to be introspective, continue to grow and develop themselves, um, and then to cultivate that ability, you know, that learning agility in mm -hmm. others. And, and I think leading with a motivational lens is going to be even more important. And, and for me, I hope I'm the, you know, I'm not the first people leader to move into a CEO role. It is somewhat of, of a unicorn. Mm -hmm. um, I really believe 10 years from now, it'll be a dime a dozen yeah. because people leaders understand the business. Mm -hmm. The good ones do. They know mm -hmm. your business better than you probably do. And they see your blind spots and their advantage is they know how to work with individuals to get better results. Mm -hmm. and, I and I think every organization that's not focused on talent management, leadership development, growing their own and, and understanding there's always going to be people who want to stay in the job they have today and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but you really are going to have to cultivate that. And at the same time, our employees expect more from us personally as leaders, you know, the whole ethics in the ethics award is, is now switching to this idea of virtuous. So it's not, it's not enough to just be a, an ethical leader anymore. People want to work for someone who's a virtuous leader. Um, and, and I think the shift of, you know, what, what got you here is definitely not going to get you there. <laughs> and you just need to accept that and keep working on yourself. Um, but, but just, Again, it, it all starts with you. Powerful, powerful. How, um, understand the learning and development strategies, right? And, and we're, you, you work for a very unique organization. You, you hinted at it with the, with the helpline, but also the work that everybody, obviously I donate a lot of clothes to Goodwill and I'm on the, I'm on the committee over there. So I know a lot about the work that you guys do in the community. But what's interesting about your organization, Jennifer, is that you have manufacturing, you have service related, you have a lot of different needs in an organization where most businesses are, are really only focused on one, one specific thing. 
how does that help you as to how to identify, I guess, talent coming in the doors of the organization and where they would be best suited? Um, going back to your master's degree, I'm sure that helps. But how is that unique and different from your past experiences with other businesses? Because ABVI and Goodwill of the Finger Lakes are very unique in that regard. We are. We like to say we are incredibly complex. And uh, there's some great benefits to that complexity because, you know, there's lots of opportunities for people to kind of move um, really sideways within the organization, which, which we appreciate. Um, it's also hard because our um, administrative talent gets tapped and pulled in a couple different directions um, because at the end of the day, we're a not-for-profit. So, you know, we um, are held to, to standards that normal industries are not um, in terms of keeping our administration costs low. Dan Pilata has a great book and a TED Talk, Uncharitable, highly recommend it. Um, but it, it basically says the rules that, that we play with are, are different. Um, so our teams have to be that much better um, at doing more with less. Um, and I think it helps us be innovative and, and creative. It also makes us wanna pull out our hair sometimes. Um, but the focus on the individual and career growth and, and development um, is universal in all the, the different areas. Um, but it provides opportunities for people to be able to flex um, into different areas in a way that might be a little safer um, because you know you can reach out and ask for someone to mentor you in a different division. And it's still within the same company, but it, it doesn't have that same line of sight um, perspective. Um, it also is really helpful because outside of a global pandemic, uh, usually if one business is challenged, the others are not. Um, so, you know, for, for us, um, it's that peace of mind. You know, we, we do so much good in the community, you know, whether it's our, our good neighbor program, partnering with, you know, other not-for-profits to give away the stuff that comes into us. We can only do that um, because we do generate, you know, 75% of our own revenue and, and are not so dependent on, you know, grants, um, you know, don't get me wrong, philanthropy and grants, we need that extra 20 to 25% each year. Um, but to know that we control so much of our own mission is, is just tremendous. And we're able to make those connections back. And no matter where you are within the organization, you understand how your individual contributions are contributing to this amount of service in the community. Um, and, and we make those connections and we talk to the, to the groups about the investments we're able to make as, as a result of, of what they're doing. Um, and it's, it's just tremendous for people to be able to love their job, know their job is doing more in the community than, than just making someone rich. Um, at the same time where they have the opportunity if they want to, to, to grow and develop, um, and like in our retail stores now, we have people, we have a production incentive. We have some, um, employees who are making like 1750 an hour working for goodwill like in a back room processing the donations that come in um, because, you know, we, we pay, I think we start at like 13, 25 an hour and literally they're making an extra three to $4 an hour based on their own productivity. And, wow. and I think it's, it's that creativity, that innovation um, and the ability for business leaders to work across. So we, we don't really have a lot of silos anymore. We, we have meetings where people bring their business challenges and that outside perspective and that action learning modality, um, I think allows us to be more creative and, and problem solve in ways we wouldn't have otherwise. Sounds like you're, I mean, the, the one thing, it sounds like your employees feel valued, um, but also it's just understanding that it is a team um, and, and kind of bringing forth. And I think you're showing, like you said earlier, nobody wants to ask for help because it's a sign of weakness. But if you're encouraging that in an environment where the business is, and it's so comforting to hear that you're not siloed, are really asking each other those questions. That's just amazing. All right, Jennifer, we want to learn a little bit more about you. Then we're going to get into some or close it up with some stereotypical interview questions. So we're going to rapid fire some questions at you right, right. now. Tyler, right. take us off. All right, Jennifer Lake. Well, I was thinking, you know, it's bottom of the ninth. We're at Jacobs Field, now Progressive Field in Cleveland, Ohio. You can hear the fans from the flats. 
the manager calls you in to close this game out, the closer, what music are you running out of that bullpen to to save the day? Oh, uh, definitely Queen. Um, I would say definitely We Will Rock You. Something about hearing All that right. clap, like definitely. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. All right. Well, what's um, if if you uh, could do one thing, um, pick up one skill overnight, become an expert next day. What skill? What was that one skill be? I would learn ASL overnight. I, you know, the finger dexterity doesn't always process well for me. It's so I would love to just wake up and be able to sign. Okay. Okay. Well, if someone popped about $200 trillion in your lap tomorrow, Jennifer, and you couldn't spend a penny on it, what would you put it towards? I would put it towards um, other communities starting their own systems integration projects. So where all the human service organizations come together and work in one um, consolidated way for integrated service delivery. That's amazing. I know my friend Dina Johnson is looking to do just that at MCFC. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Um, okay. So you are, you just finished a big meal. You are, it's your birthday. The waiter's bringing out your favorite, favorite dessert of all time. What is that dessert on that plate with a candle on it? It is a Pillsbury vanilla funfetti cake uh, with funfetti sprinkles on it. Ever since I was a kid, go-to favorite dessert. I mean, I like a mean tort, you know, raspberry <laughs> tort with chocolate. But at the end of the day, I'll take a funfetti vanilla cake with vanilla icing. Anything. I am right there with you all day. You can ask my mom what I requested for the last 31 years of my life. Funfetti cake with vanilla ice cream or vanilla frosting. Okay. All right. Tyler, what else you got? All right. Well, I think it's time for uh, a time to get serious, Kevin. It is time to get serious. Jennifer is really interested in working for us. I know. Yeah. So uh, let me get in serious mode here. And, uh, you know, uh, so Jennifer, will you just tell me about one time you were stressed out or in a stressful, stressful situation and tell me how you got out of that? Absolutely. So we all face stress at work and, you know, the pandemic was incredibly stressful. Um, so from my perspective, it was about uh, every morning staying focused on the key items that needed to be done that day um, and understanding that I needed to allow time in my schedule for those unplanned things to pop up. Um, and then even though I was maybe only working from home, still taking kind of five, 10 minutes at the end of the night to really focus on um, the next day. Giving us a lot to think about, uh, Jennifer. I got one more for you before we uh, offer this uh, this incredible opportunity to you to, to come on work for us here at Time Out for Leaders. If you could be remembered for just one thing um, over your entire life, or maybe at your time here with Time Out with Leaders, what would that one thing be? It would be for helping people see their full potential and really believe they can achieve it. Well, we can't pay you much, Jennifer, but uh, the job is yours. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, uh, we uh, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us. Uh, Tyler and I, just two genuinely curious guys that um, are really interested in learning about passionate leaders like yourself, learning your story, your journey, um, just so we all can kind of take that opportunity to self-reflect, like you said, find our strengths. What, what is our passion projects? What moves the needle for us? ourselves first before we try to go and help anybody else. So thank you so much, Jennifer, for being a guest on today's show. Um, I know I've really enjoyed my time. Again, I have probably uh, five or six different pages of notes of all the great quotes that we have from you. So wow. thank you very, very much. It was truly my pleasure. This was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciated the opportunity and, and loved talking with you. I can't believe how fast this went. Thank you.